listening to the conversation on member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Dr. Kathy, Kathleen Kozak of The Body Show is with us in the studio today. She's an internist with Straub Clinic and Hospital. She's also the medical director for UHA Insurance, and she's here to help navigate the landscape. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Friday. Yes, happy Friday. And, you know, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare uh, issued a report recently that it can cost more than $20,000 for a COVID patient. Talk about that. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that the treatment for COVID ranges from someone who might just require, you know, testing and then treatment at home or somebody who's on a ventilator for an extended period of time. So part of the difficulty is that the average of 20,000, I think actually is is very low when you think of hospital stays, but they took a look at all people uh, with that particular insurance and said, okay, what is your average cost averaging everybody of all age groups who have Medicaid, Medicare or Medicaid and looking at hospital stays that are shorter in duration. And it's, you know, that's not everybody. Unfortunately, we've seen some serious sick people. And if you get to the point where you need things like ventilators and something else called ECMO, extracorporeal oxygen circulation, that you really, that cost can be much higher than that. It's a significant cost for the overall pandemic. I know there was a estimate that it was a $16 trillion pandemic when we add up all the costs from that was coming from Harvard Business Review. And that was actually almost a year ago they were estimating those costs. And boy, we've certainly seen that happen. Yeah. And those ECMO machines you talked about, I mean, that's where they actually kind of uh, take your blood, drain your blood, they oxygenate it, and then put it Bypasses back in your, your lungs, right. They, if the lungs get damaged enough that they can't actually allow any oxygen to get in the body, that's providing that oxygenation using a separate machine. And there's a limited amount of machines, and there's a lot of significant body trauma that occurs if you get an illness to the point where you require that machine. And so that's a whole nother cost and consideration. You know, there's there's a significant risk for people who have certain medical conditions or who have not been vaccinated or who are of certain age groups to have major problems related to getting infected with COVID and or developing pneumonia and lung damage. So it's it's definitely a serious consideration medically, and it's a costly one for all health insurers, whether it be commercial or government or whatever the case may be. Right. And, and uh, you know, this disease doesn't discriminate, you know, old and young people are ending up in the hospital. There are certain statistical rates of hospitalization based on age groups. So the older population tends to have a greater risk just because of their immune system may not be as strong or they may have other medical conditions that make them more likely to have troubles. But you're right. If you get infected, the virus doesn't care who you are. It's going to infect you. And it's your body's response that's going to determine what's going to happen next. And nobody really can predict that from one person to the next. And we watch in our community where the uh, elderly fell uh a victim to this disease early on, and they weren't vaccinated. We got the vaccine. Uh, we had a recent outbreak at a health care facility here, uh, but we didn't have the really bad outcomes like we did uh, at that one veteran's home early on in the pandemic. You know, so the, the vaccinations, uh, the vaccines have really helped uh, those outcomes. Well, there's proof that vaccines have worked to try and limit the extent of disease or to also limit even getting infected if you get exposed. So we know that there's enough studies done that show that the percentage of people who will get infected and be hospitalized who have been vaccinated is much lower. In fact, when we had the height of our hospitalizations just about maybe about two months ago here in the islands, it was 90% of all the people that were hospitalized were unvaccinated. So we do know that there is a significant chance that vaccines can help prevent those negative outcomes. And, you know, uh, it, it is, uh, I guess, encouraging to know that our vaccine rates have come up quite a bit. They really have. I'm honestly really impressed and proud that people in Hawaii have taken it seriously and have decided to get vaccinated. I was a little alarmed. A report came out earlier that there are about 114 or 119,000 Hawaii residents who only went for one out of a two series vaccine. So that's concerning. But I'm still happy that they at least got one because we do know that even even though it's not perfect immunity, one vaccination is better than zero vaccinations. So Hawaii's really taken the lead at some of the vaccination rates. And I'm really impressed with how hard everybody's worked to make that happen. 
And, you know, uh, recently there were lots of eyebrows that were raised when uh, Delta Airlines announced that it would charge its workers $200 more for health care if they were unvaccinated. Uh, you know, COVID health care for the severely ill costs more in the intensive and extended care. Uh, on Facebook, we pose that question. You know, do you feel that those who choose not to get the COVID vaccine should pay more for health insurance? Uh, here are a couple of comments we received on our post. Jen says, considering the much, the much higher rate of hospitalizations among the unvaccinated, absolutely. Denny says no, because vax can still get it, and you raise the cost for unvax, then you need to do it all for do it for all things all human do to cause their health to fail. Drinking, smoking, unhealthy eating, risky behaviors. What happened to equal treatment for all and freedom of choice? And James says, so the ones that would want the unvaccinated to pay more would ignore the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Isn't that what Obamacare's whole premise was to provide health care to people with pre-existing conditions? Here come the communists exempting themselves from the rules that apply to others. So, you know, people are very passionate about this issue. It's a difficult issue, honestly, because there are certain conditions for which you can charge more. And one of those has been smoking. It's one of the only conditions for which you can charge more for health insurance that is legally allowed. There were several clauses that did not allow the exclusion for pre-existing conditions. And part of the reason for that is because, you know, if somebody has a history of heart disease, then if they get medical insurance that doesn't cover heart disease, the chances are they're still going to have major costs. And that's not going to encourage them them to get health insurance to begin with. I think it's it's a difficult question because we don't really have any similar type of mandate for influenza vaccination or measles vaccination or any of the other vaccines that have been out there for a long time. So it's it'll be interesting to see what happens with the country as a lot of different governments and different businesses mandate vaccination and whether or not they will actually have that charge for health insurance to increase if if they wind up having higher premiums because of their patient population or the people they insure. It's it's going to be interesting. I, As a doctor, I think it's a great idea to get vaccinated. As someone who works in health insurance, I think it's a difficult proposition. And once you go down that path, that's a slippery slope. And I'm sure there's going to be some legal ramifications to that. Yes. Well, you know, one listener, uh, Reku, feels that people should pay more for health insurance if they have pre-existing conditions that can make them more vulnerable to serious illness from COVID-19. I think individuals with pre-existing conditions that would require the health insurance to be increased should pay more. So if you're healthy and you can prove it, you know, low blood pressure, low weight, no smoking, no drugs, those people should pay the least amount of health insurance and then it should go up from there. I think ultimately obesity is is, is really, a, and, and pre-existing conditions has been, in my opinion, um, the number one indicator for, for people who ultimately have to go to the hospital and or pass away from COVID. I, I've received, you know, I've ha- I've, I'm vaccinated, but I got COVID and it was not a big deal for me, um, but I don't have a lot of the pre-existing conditions that you're seeing with some of the older people that have, you know, ultimately passed away from COVID. So that is my opinion. Yeah. And then, you know, we did have a a labor attorney on and, you know, he expressed some concern about going down the path of higher premiums for uh, folks who are unvaccinated. I think there are going to be some major legal issues. But, you know, we have to look at behavior in total and say someone might actually have risky behavior, whether it be driving while intoxicated or taking certain illegal substances. And, you know, then someone else might just have bad genetics and they just so happen to have a genetic problem that leads to tumors or leads to some other negative consequence. And so where do you draw the line? And at what point do you judge people for their health outcomes? And that's it's, you know, human nature says we want to do that. But realistically, it may not be something that is easy to do. And I wonder about the ethics of that. Yeah, well, it's never easy. I've got high cholesterol. I'm working on it. But it's really hard to to get that down, you know. But um, yeah, and, uh, you know, during this you know, time of COVID, you know, there was concern about uh, health care coverage. 
You know, uh, we talked to uh, Attorney Connie Liu of the Legal Aid Society of Hawaii. Uh, Legal Aid has helped thousands of people. Many immigrants get medical coverage as they may not qualify for uh, Medicaid, Medicare. Uh, previously, Legal Aid Society helped about more than 1,000 people with this insurance between 2019 uh, and August of this year. Here's what uh, Connie Liu had to say. So we're talking about people who may have income that's above the uh, Medicaid income limit. And also there may be people who don't qualify based on their immigration status. Um, Typically for Medicaid, you do need to have five years immigrant status before you can qualify for it. So we are looking at that group. And also people who may not be getting employer coverage because they are um, not working the um, 20 hours per week. Yeah, and uh, uh, Liu had said that, uh, you know, they were initially helping a lot of uh, uh, COFA citizens, uh, a lot of uh, Micronesians who are uh, here under the Compact to Free Association. Uh, They've got coverage reinstated under uh, Medicaid. Uh, But there's still lots of people out there that kind of fall through the cracks, you know. And, uh, you know, she's stressing that, you know, they're just like Medicare. uh, There's a a window to sign up. And she tells us that the, the coverage for uh, that group uh, actually begins next month, so it's a narrow window of about three months. Well, an important thing to know is that the open enrollment period is from November 1st of this year and ends January 15th of next year. And uh, this is the time for to apply for this insurance. There are, if the people of different income brackets can also get help to pay for their premiums or cost share reductions um, through the federal marketplace. And so that might help lower their cost for their insurances and um, out-of-pocket costs for any services they receive. Uh, This open enrollment period is very important because once the open enrollment period ends, then it becomes more difficult for people to um, apply for marketplace insurance. They would need something, um, what they call like a triggering event, um, to allow them to apply for insurance after that time. That was Connie Liu of the Legal Aid Society talking about signups for the marketplace insurance, what was known as Obamacare. And, you know, and, and uh, talk to us about, you know, th- those programs out there, these federal programs that are designed to help, you know, the, the low-income citizens out there. Well, I think the important thing to know is that if you have very little income, you may qualify for Medicaid. So there are plenty of offices that will help people to establish Medicaid as their coverage. And as Connie had mentioned, if you don't qualify for Medicaid because you make more in income, but you don't have your own employer-sponsored coverage, maybe you're not working 20 hours a week, maybe you're not employed, whatever the case may be, and you're not eligible for Medicare, which would be age 65 or if someone has certain disabilities or medical conditions, then you're in this, this gap. And what do you do? So the idea of Obamacare was to provide some sort of a marketplace where people could purchase insurance. And if they had certain income limits, they could get some federal subsidy for that. So that everybody, the goal is that everybody has some level of insurance. So what she's referring to is that the Obamacare open enrollment is going to start, and we may call it something else, Affordable Care Act, however people want to word that. But you really want to try and make sure that you have access and take a look at that because the coverage starts in January. So you want to try and get that set up for yourself and also not wait to the last minute. You know, when they first came out with this system, there's always sorts of like computer crashes and glitches and then they need more information. And so you want to make sure you set yourself up to take advantage of some of these programs now while there's a lot of assistance that can help you to navigate that difficult landscape because it really is challenging. And so there's this is one way to go about it. And, you know, uh, we've got the emergency orders in place. You know, uh, a lot of providers are waiving fees, you know, but that's probably going to change at some point. When the pandemic is declared yeah. over, a lot of the co-pays and co-insurance and a variety of the other types of deductibles and things that were waived during the pandemic are going to come back. And that makes health care more expensive. And so, yeah, uh, you know, th- let's talk about the people that say, aren't insured you know i mean because there are some people that just think oh well i'm young i don't need it and then they find out oh gosh you know they get really ill well the hard part is sometimes they don't get ill and so they do go without insurance they don't have accidents and they seem to be okay and they don't seek out health care and so because of that then it seems like it's okay for them to continue but accidents 
accidents happen and they can't be predicted. And people could wind up with a very bad diagnosis or they could be in some type of accident themselves or someone could cause them injury. And not all the time are other types of insurance available. So you never want to find out after you've incurred a huge bill that you should have had insurance. You don't qualify for the types of insurance that you had hoped for. And now you're stuck with paying this large amount of money and you may not have the resources to do it or you might have to work over time to start paying that off. So I always encourage people who don't have insurance to figure out what their options are. And that means to pursue finding out if they meet the criteria for Medicaid and then also looking at these open enrollment opportunities for the type of government-based subsidies for insurance that could really help them so that should they have an injury or accident, they have some coverage. Well, you know, if you're just joining the conversation, we're talking about the landscape for healthcare as we move through this pandemic. Do you have insurance that's right for you? Join our discussion by calling us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We'll be right back. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Terry Patton, author of A New Republic of the Heart. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about our sacred global rite of passage. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to enjoy the museum's galleries and outdoor courtyards until 9 p.m. on Friday and Saturday evenings. Admission tickets at honolulumuseum.org. We're back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Dr. Kathy Kozak joins us today, and you can join the discussion by calling us 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Uh, you know, Dr. Kozak, you know, we uh, were very concerned about a lot of the homeless on the street, you know, about getting them vaccinated and, and getting care. And what happens when, you know, people who don't have insurance uh, end up in the hospital and getting sick with COVID? You know, who pays? Well, we all do, eventually. You know, I think one of the things to make note of is vaccination is free. There's no copay. If you don't have insurance, you can still go get vaccinated. And so there is an element where if vaccinations are available, you should have no barriers to getting those. Now, the vaccines, a lot of the development of the vaccination was a public-private partnership, which the government took on and said, we're going to pay these companies to come up with a vaccine, and then we're going to purchase it. So that came from taxpayer money. So everybody kind of invested in that. And that's why we all get the benefit of getting the vaccination for free. Now, when we think about if you have no insurance and you, you come into the hospital and you get sick and you have COVID, all emergency rooms are required to treat people, regardless of their insurance status. And that's part of what's called the MTALA rule. It's the Emergency Medical Leave and Treatment Act. And so that really ensures that people will get treated for their medical condition. When you're in the emergency room, if you are determined to be sick enough to need to be in the hospital, the hospitals will make sure that you get medically the care that you need. 
And then they also have a large number of social workers and case managers that can help people to try and navigate what those costs are going to be. And so if they do qualify for some of the government programs like Medicaid or some type of exchange insurance, they will try and help them to apply for it. But the idea of open enrollment is that that's the time when you can proactively get insurance. And therefore, if you do it during that time course, you will hopefully not have to worry should you get sick throughout the rest of the year. If you do wind up getting admitted to the hospital and you're not qualified for Medicaid and it's not open enrollment time, you may be subjected to covering the cost of some of that care. Now, it may not happen all the time. The government did provide additional funding to all of the hospitals and wanted to guarantee that all COVID-related costs would be covered from the hospital perspective so that the facilities could stay open and provide the care they need. But essentially, the government is funded by the money we pay in taxes. So it really does all come from a large fund that everyone pays a little bit into. So trying to be responsible and judicious in how we all use those funds for our own needs is is really important. And step one is to have people consider vaccination, as we know that that will reduce the risk of hospitalization. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be dealing with the stress of having to pay for medical bills when you're trying to just deal with your health. And we want people who have COVID to get medical care so that they can either isolate or not spread it. So that's why COVID-related care is covered in the most cases because we don't want people to wind up saying, okay, I'm just gonna just not be hospitalized, get very sick, unfortunately pass away or spread it in the meantime. So there are some federal provisions for coverage of care that essentially comes from the federal government's resources, which kind of come from us. And we do have a call on the line. Jack from the Big Island. You have a question? Yeah, I was wondering. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I'm 72. I have Medicare. I don't have any other kind of insurance. I'm not too worried about the contagious diseases. I've pretty much got a handle on that. But if I had an accident, you know, or an injury or something, am I covered by Medicare? Well, for the most part, yes, you should be. If you had an injury or an accident that someone else caused, there may be some other sort of liability. So if it was a car accident, there may be some car insurance coverage. But in general, if you're home and you're doing something around the house and, uh uh-oh, you know, you sliced your finger with with a knife or something along those lines, you know, you would have coverage through your Medicare. And so you should be able to access medical services without any difficulties. And we're about a week into the enrollment period for Medicare. And I've been noticing lots of commercials on television. Uh, You know, it's everybody from Joe Namath and uh, George Foreman. And there seems to be the sense of urgency about finding out, you know, which, uh, which product is right for you. Well, open enrollment this year started a little early, October 15th, and it goes through December 7th. So Medicare's open enrollment time is when any Medicare person or eligible person has the opportunity to choose what type of plan they want. And there's two big basic types of plans. There's traditional Medicare, which has Part A and Part B and a Part D, which is for for drug costs. And then there's also Medicare Advantage plans. So the first decision that people need to make if they have the option to take Medicare, whether it be age-related or it's something they've done every year, is to know that at this time of the year, you can change your plan and you can try a different type of plan should you want to, but this is the open enrollment time. Should you have any type of what they call qualifying reason throughout the rest of the year, you could pick a plan at that time. But for everybody who has Medicare, right now you get to choose. Stick with your current plan or try something else. And the two big choices are gonna be, are you gonna go with traditional Medicare, which is run by the government and has certain benefits to it, or are you gonna go with a Medicare Advantage plan, which is run by usually private businesses like United, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Humana, HMSA in Hawaii. And if you're gonna choose that type of a plan, there is some commercial oversight for your Medicare benefits. So once you make that one big decision, then there's different consequences to that and different parts of that that are available to people to get to know more information about. And we uh, had a comment from Jacques from Mililani. Uh, Jacques has TRICARE. Is there anything better? Yes. 
Well, it depends. You know, TRICARE is run by the government, and that's an insurance that is usually for military or their dependents and or veterans. And so the TRICARE program, if you access some of the government-run facilities like Tripler or the VA, they tend to have very rich benefits and really very good healthcare available. The hardest part is accessing it. So I think as with everybody, sometimes there's shortages in availability of primary care doctors or certain specialists. So some people with TRICARE access care outside of the VA or outside of Tripler, and they access it in the community. And in that case, you know, there are some nuances to how TRICARE is managed, kind of similar to some of the Medicare Advantage plans. So, you know, if we talk about traditional Medicare, you don't necessarily need prior authorization to do certain tests. And you have acceptance of Medicare through pretty much all of the states. And you can travel and you can go places. And it doesn't cover everything, but it does cover quite a bit. And so in addition to having your Medicare hospital plan and your Medicare doctor office visit plan. You often have a drug plan that you purchase and you generally tend to, a lot of folks get what they call a gap plan. So that'll cover any other unmet needs that someone may have should they have traditional Medicare. And the cost for all those plans can add up over time, but it is something that people take a look at because they like the flexibility. If you travel a lot to the mainland, if you go to visit your kids in other areas, and if your particular insurance that you have in Hawaii is is not able to provide you coverage on the mainland to the same extent or their network is not as large, then you may want to choose something with the greater flexibility, which would be your traditional Medicare. If you choose to use a Medicare Advantage plan, then you've moved into what's called Part C Medicare, which is the Medicare Advantage programs. And those are partners between public and private partnerships. So that's where you have your HMSA or Blue Cross Blue Shield. That's where you have your United Healthcare, your Humana, Aetna, AARP, a variety of different programs. In fact, there's actually over 3,500 Medicare Advantage plans in the U.S. Really? It's a huge number, and a lot of folks didn't realize there were that many options available, but there are. Not all plans are available in all areas, so some of them are very narrow in their network. But that's really the big consideration is now you have to make sure that the doctors that you see are part of that network, and you have to check to make sure the medications you have are part of that drug coverage because the Advantage plans incorporates drug coverage with your plan, And so there are some considerations that people need to make for that. So that's why those commercials say, oh, uh, put in your zip code and figure out what's in your area. Right. And if you go to visit kids and they happen to be on the mainland, put in their zip code so that if you're going to spend half of the year there or a significant amount of time, you could make sure that there's also a network available where you're going. So there are some ways that you can actually take a look in advance to figure out what might be best and most appropriate for you. And with the COVID filter, you know, uh, I don't know, is, is there more urgency this year to sign up, you know, and figure out what plan to go with under Medicare or not? I mean, I don't know. Probably not because all the signups don't take place until Gen 1. So what you're signing up for October 15 to December 7 is your coverage that starts January 1st. So I think part of the sense of urgency is because you know, people, <laughs> I tend to wait until, when is the deadline? Okay, I'll look at it later, closer to then. But a lot of folks have a lot of questions. And in fact, I encourage people to do some research because there's, you know, if you, for example, if you have cancer treatments that are provided at a facility in the mainland, or you go for yearly checkups somewhere, and they don't accept your current insurance, then you may want to look to see what other type of plan could I consider? Would it be traditional Medicare or a different Medicare Advantage plan that would give me coverage where I like to do my treatments and also coverage locally at home? So because of the depth of research that I think some folks may want to look into, we like to give people a large amount of time. However, I'll be honest, it's kind of confusing to navigate And when you're a senior and things are complicated and computerized, I mean, I got to tell you, I get I get confused now with some of these computer things I have to do. So I can't imagine how difficult it must be for folks as they get older. So my big the big thing that I encourage folks to do is, you know, as a as a physician, it doesn't matter to me what Medicare plan or Advantage plan someone has. It will work with whatever one that they have. I'm part of Hawaii Pacific Health and they have fairly good acceptance of pretty much almost all the plans. 
But that being said, different people have different needs for their treatments or for their doctors or their specialists. And so there are some folks out there that do independent consulting. So they will take a look at your exact medical history, your medications, the different formularies available for medicines, and will give you a really good estimate of your costs so that you can actually make the decision that's best for you. And it's really not it's not paid for by any particular plan, so it truly is an independent evaluation. And to me, that's a really good, valuable use of your time and your money if you're not quite sure what to do. And then how does that work? Let's say some people are doubly insured. You know, they might have coverage over one plan through a spouse, and then, you know, let's say they're a veteran, and they're also covered through the VA. Well, and that's the other consideration is when you have extra coverage, when you have primary coverage and secondary coverage or spousal-related coverage, then it gets even more complicated. Now, most Medicare plans you enroll as an individual, and so you may have some secondary coverage from a spouse or from another situation or retirement benefit that you have. Uh, but in general, as it gets more complicated, you probably have more questions. And that's when seeking out independent consultation, I think, is a great idea. But also, it, it's hard to predict what's going to happen in the next year. And the more coverage you have, in most cases, the better. But there are some things that kind of flare up at folks, and they don't realize how much a particular medicine would cost or how much chemotherapy might cost. And in those situations, they really want to make sure that they choose a plan that is accepted by their providers and also by the medical centers that they're most likely to visit. And, you know, uh the so the the sense of urgency i mean you know human nature right you, you wait to the last minute um and and then and some people probably don't like change so they're just going to stick with the plan that they have but that may not be the best thing well and if you don't make a selection you generally do keep your previous plan so the idea is that if if you change nothing you'll still be enrolled in your current plan. And if you've been happy with that plan and you've been okay with all of the benefits they provide, then maybe there's no reason to change or to take a look at some other type of an option for you. If you've had a significant number of costs and you've had some serious problems with medical bills, then there's a really good reason why you may wanna to look to see could changing your plan actually make a difference. And then how does that work? You know, I know we have lots of employees who uh, work remotely you know, I don't know. How does that work? You know, I guess it's your, your place of residence, but, um, you know, you, you may be living, your place of residence may be on the mainland, but you just happen to be in Hawaii working remotely. And that's a really interesting question because you mentioned employee. So employee means you must have some commercial sponsored insurance, which would be through your employer. And depending on what the situation is and why you're here in the islands, if you are employed elsewhere, but you actually reside in the islands, Hawaii is going to require you to have insurance to cover you in the islands. So your employer may have to offer a Hawaii-based plan for any employees if the employees are working in Hawaii, but they're actually based out of California, for example. And so in that case, the, health, the HR department of that particular employer has to reach out and look to see, is the plan that we offer, if it's something like United, for example, accepted in the islands? And does it have the same benefits that the Prepaid Health Care Act requires? And if it does, then you can have that same insurance. But if not, then you may have to purchase insurance locally here in the islands. The same goes both ways. So if you actually have a, are employed from a company in Hawaii, but you happen to live in Vegas or you live somewhere else, then there are some requirements that you have to get permission to be able to have your health insurance provided by your employer but provide you with coverage even though you live in another state. Because a lot of insurances, particularly for employers and employees, are still state-based. It's just so interesting what, what COVID has done, right? I mean, just the the changes that we've had to deal with, the disruptions and... And, and the know. opportunities to yes. remote work. The, <laughs> I think part of the reason the real estate market has been so hot is because a lot of folks who were given an option, you could work anywhere in the U.S., said... Why not live in the beautiful Hawaiian Islands? And, I mean, we live here. We know why. Right. <laughs> well, uh, if you just joined us, uh, this is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Uh, I'm Catherine Cruz along with Dr. Kathy Kozak. You can, can join our discussion today by calling one eight seven seven nine four one three six on the uh, 89 on the uh, neighbor islands or uh, 808-941-3689 on Oahu. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break.
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Hana Hauoli School, accepting junior kindergarten and grades 1 through 6 online applications for the 2022-23 school year through December 1st. hanahaoli.org slash aikomomai. Aloha, this is Derek Malama, and after 19 years on the air, I'm passing along the reins of Kani Kapila Sunday. It's been an honor to share all of this wonderful Hawaiian music with you, but the good news is that Luis Keliloma King Lanzalotti will be stepping in to host the show. So keep listening every Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m. right here on HBR One. You are tuned to the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. We have a comment from a listener, Rich from Kaneohe. He thinks statistics on unvaccinated people in the hospital for COVID-19 should be published. I agree, Rick. I'm with you. I think it's hard because from the hospital perspective, they just want to take care of the patient. And from the Department of Health perspective, they've just recently started to collect some of the data. But, you know, optimally, wouldn't it be great if we could know the vaccinated status of all the infections every day? That would be ideal. I mean, I love facts and I love numbers, so this would just make me really happy. But it's just a time lag between finding out from someone who gets diagnosed, contacting them, do you get vaccinated? Do you have the dates? There's this whole manpower issue. Um, Hospitals do have some of that data, but it's a little bit harder to go through it because, you know, if you have somebody who is admitted to the hospital, you can't necessarily ask them at that point, give me your vaccine card. They're, they're not allowed to leave. So there are some logistical issues about that. But in general, what we have heard based on our really surge of the hospitals that occurred about a month or two ago is that they were looking at the data saying anywhere between 90 to 95 percent of the unva- of the people in the hospital with covid were unvaccinated. And that was based on their own internal data. Um, But I'm sure that it may vary from different facilities. It's similar to what we were seeing nationwide, though, which is that for right now, the biggest risk of winding up hospitalized with COVID would be your vaccination status. If you're not vaccinated, there's a 11 times more likely risk that you might be hospitalized with COVID. And it just happens to be because we're comparing it to people who, if you're vaccinated and you get an infection, and which can happen, there are these breakthrough infections that we've discovered, it's often a milder case and it's not as significant. And if you're otherwise healthy without any other major medical conditions and you're vaccinated and you get COVID, you will probably have much fewer symptoms and you'll have an easier time and you won't feel as sick as if you weren't vaccinated. So we do know that for those breakthrough infections that we are hearing about, you're less likely to get hospitalized and your course is generally a lot milder. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, gosh, you know, we're hearing every day, you know, four deaths, two deaths, and, and, and that adds up. You know, September was just, oh my gosh, there were so many deaths in September. And to think that, you know, uh, in 2020, I think we were like holding at 15 for so long. And uh, gosh, it's just, it, it breaks your heart because, you know, it's not just numbers. Those are people, those are families, those are our, our neighbors, our relatives. And the numbers just seem to, luckily now we're seeing that it's reducing a bit, but boy, it seemed like we had become kind of complacent about the numbers of deaths every day. It sort of was, we all got used to it. You know, it was a difficult scenario and you're right. It's something that it's your neighbors, it's your friends, it's your family members. We were seeing that a lot of people who had medical conditions that made it harder for their lungs to recover from an illness, made it harder for their heart to recover because they already had heart conditions. People who had kidney problems, their immune system doesn't work the way that other people's immune system does. So for those people who had those conditions, if they were exposed and got COVID, they didn't have any reserves and they just weren't able to manifest a response enough to treat the condition and get them to the point where their body could recover. And then we have a comment from another listener, Peter from Maui, uh, says, I want to get the flu shot and the COVID vaccine. How long do I have to wait to get one after getting the other? Well, technically, you could get them both the same day. So there were some initial concerns about waiting, but now they've done some studies and said, you know, you could safely get your flu shot and your COVID shot simultaneously, particularly if it's your booster shot. So if you've already been COVID vaccinated and this is a booster shot for you, 
getting it with your flu shot at the same time would be fine. Uh, I don't usually have a lot of folks who have to split those up. Um, but a lot of if you haven't gotten a flu shot, it is flu shot season. And we do expect that as people start to gather more and gather in communities more, we are going to see influenza. Last year, everybody wore masks, so we really didn't see a large number of cases. This year, we anticipate we will probably see more influenza cases because you can go outside and not necessarily have to wear a mask. We now are allowing gatherings of people who are vaccinated. And if you're vaccinated for COVID but not for flu and you have the flu... You may be spreading that. So getting both of those vaccinations is really important. Yeah, but the concern about timing, I mean, I know I just got my shingle shot yesterday and I was like, okay, I want to make sure that, you know, I got my flu shot. And Now, shingles yeah. is a little different. Yeah. So that particular vaccine, we do recommend that people wait a little bit of time, usually anywhere from two to four weeks before they get a COVID booster and a shingles vaccine, just because the shingles vaccine is a particular type of vaccine and we want people to have a little time between those two. But I mean, if it's get the shot versus not get it, even if it's not perfectly timed, it's better to be immunized. However, if you do have the flexibility of waiting that additional two to four weeks or so, that would be optimal. Okay, and we have another comment. Lindsay from Kailua uh, writes, thank you, Dr. Kozak, for your very informative radio show. I'm having a gathering for eight people. One person just told me they're not vaccinated. What should she do? Should she exclude that person? Well, that's a difficult that's a difficult question. So in general, what I suggest for folks is for those that are vaccinated, you're protected. If you have someone who's unvaccinated who's going to join your small gathering, then everybody at the gathering should be wearing a mask. And in addition to that, uh, we should also have the person who isn't vaccinated, if they want to, I mean, depending on what kind of a gathering it is, they could be pre-tested. There's a lot of those point of care. You can buy a test at Walgreens these days, Longs, and there's some that were offered to the community to test to make sure you're negative before you join. Uh, but I would just say socially try and distance as much as possible or at least keep the person who's unvaccinated away from some of the other folks uh, and everybody wear a mask and, you know, it could be okay. There are restrictions on gatherings with larger groups requiring that everyone be vaccinated in the large group venues. But in smaller groups, that one unvaccinated person just has to really be careful themselves because they don't want to be exposed and they would not want to be in a position where they were at risk. So have them wear the mask. You do sanitize your hands. And just for the safety of everybody, maybe everybody in that gathering wear a mask. Yeah, or, or, or do it outdoors. Just every little thing helps, right? Yep, outdoors is another option. That's a great idea. Yeah, so gosh, you know, we've got this uh, COVID filter hanging over us. Uh, you know, we've got these... Uh, these uh, windows now of opportunity for switching over, uh, you know, the, the Medicare plans. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, so so I guess the advice to folks is just do your homework early. Start now. You know, it may be you'll, it's fine just to stay where you're at, but at least consider what might be out there. I would always suggest people learn what their coverage is to begin with. You know, if somebody asked me, boy, maybe five or so years ago, what's your exact insurance coverage? I might not really have looked into it very much, but having started to work for a health insurance locally here in the islands, it's really educated me to take a look and go, what are my benefits? I really should read this this member benefit guide and know what's mm -hmm. out there and know, yes. know what the costs are going to be because, you know, I'm getting older and things are more bound to happen as you get older. So learn what your current coverage is, and then you'll have a better basis upon which to say, okay, what were my health care costs last year? What were they the year before? 2020, a lot of people stayed home, so they didn't seek out health care. So 20, 2019, look and see what you've done then and see if you can take a look and say, is this doable for me? Can I go forward and still spend this amount? And if so, maybe your plan is perfect for you right now. So we've got a little less than 10 minutes uh, on the show. If, uh, if you are listening, this is your last chance to get your question in for Dr. Kathy Kozak. We're talking about vaccines the cost of COVID care, and we welcome your questions and your comments. You know, and, and uh, we are getting into the holiday season. We've got, you know, uh, Halloween coming up, and we've gotten the, the green light to trick-or-treat. You know, everybody's got to wear their mask, their face masks, in addition to their Halloween masks, just to be safe. Well, you could trick that out into a really <laughs> good costume, you know? 
I mean, you can really work that one. Uh, but I do think, again, the idea is to generally be safe because it's it's the folks who say, you know, I don't know where I got it from. I had a patient just yesterday who was fully vaccinated and who doesn't know where she got it from, but tested positive for COVID. And so she's like, well, I went to a couple of dinner parties and small gatherings and everybody said they were vaccinated. What do I do? And so the answer to that person is, you know, stay home and quarantine, get better. Luckily, it's a very mild case at this point. But it's hard to trace back when we've had all these events where it might have occurred. And the real key is to make sure that you're doing everything you can to prevent yourself from getting sick and also those in your environment. So bring the hand sanitizer so that you can sanitize and make sure that you have individual candies that people can get and maybe not have them put a hand into a big bucket and hand it out individually and sanitize in between. There are some ways to make things safe. In addition to that, I'd say, look, open enrollment is here. Take a look at your plans. There are some unique features of some of the Advantage plans that I think are exciting that traditional Medicare is looking at. So as we look at what your benefits are to keep yourself healthy, we look at things like vision coverage, dental coverage, coverage for in-home services, things that you might need in, you know, early in the pandemic. I was really impressed with some of the plans that offered food delivery for some of their seniors who were told in New York City, stay home. Don't go out. You need to stay in place. So they actually offered grocery delivery and food delivery wow. to these to these folks because they knew that there was going to be a risk. So there are some ways to take a look and see what are your benefits, what are some things you can do to make sure that you maximize what opportunities you have. This is the open enrollment time, not just for Medicare, not just for the Affordable Care Act plans, but also for everybody. These days, you know, everybody who is employer-based insurance usually has an enrollment sometime throughout the calendar year. It often tends to be towards the end of the year, at least I know mine is. And just make sure you know what your benefits are and make sure you sign up and don't wait until the last minute. Yeah, so before things get busy with the holidays, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, <laughs> you know, and all the preparations uh, that go into that and you get uh, diver your attention gets diverted uh, toward other things that now's maybe the time to just you, you might have uh, quiet time and focus uh, sit down take an afternoon to look at what you've got and what's eligible compare the plans Absolutely. And just know what you have and know what your premiums are going to be and make sure that you're happy with what you're doing and, you know, get make sure you get your health care because that's the other thing that underlies all of this is a lot of folks didn't seek out care for the last year or so. If you haven't seen your doctor, make sure you decide to go do that. That's really important. And it would be a great way to cap off the years to make sure that you're healthy and you've kept up with all your cancer screening and you've kept up with all your immunizations and all of those different types of things we ask people people to do every year. Yeah, just kind of take stock. It's time. And uh, gosh, so we've got holidays coming up, more gatherings. You know, we've got uh, the uh, safe access with people showing their vaccination cards, uh, you know, as they go into places to eat. Uh, but you just, I guess, have to be prepared uh, because we don't want to see a big surge again after the holidays. We don't want that. We really don't. And even though we have such a high vaccination rate, there are going to be social gatherings. And we know that last year after the holidays, we did see an increase in cases in January, February. So that did lead to what we think were some gatherings that people had. A lot of college kids came home for the holidays. They might have come bringing more than just themselves. Some of them came. One of my one of my colleagues got COVID from her college son who came home and said, I feel great, mom. And the next day, not so much. So the whole family got COVID. So with all these gatherings and things, we just want people to be safe and we want people to take care of themselves. We don't want to have to continue with all of these different measures that are really good from a public health perspective. But wouldn't it be great when we can all celebrate not having to wear masks and enjoying the community of others again, going to musical events and going to see different performances, I look forward to it. And it just means that I have to hold on a little bit longer and be extra careful now to make sure that I can help protect myself and my loved ones and all of my patients for the next, hopefully in a few months, the pandemic maybe will be declared over. I was so hopeful earlier this year and then Delta variant. So... You know, I was humbled by that. I don't want to have that happen again. Yeah. Any final thoughts just about where we're at in the new year? And um, gosh, I don't know, just what we've been through. 
everybody's done such a good job. Hang in there. We are so close to making sure that this, hopefully this pandemic gets under better control. Get vaccinated if you haven't been. Get your flu shot. Wear your mask for now. Do your sanitizing. Be careful. And I think we'll be able to find our way through this. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, when we have you back on the show again, <laughs> it'll be some for something else besides yeah, different COVID. Topic. Yay. Yeah. And, uh, but, but it's important that, that people realize, okay, we've gotten through this year. Uh, we had one guest call this a transition year to the recovery year uh, for 2022. You know, so we, we had a tough for 2020. Uh, it, it did get worse, I think, in 2021. It's my assessment anyway. But uh, 2022, you know, we've got to go in with some hope and uh, just we just need to be kind to each other. We have had differences of opinion. We're very polarized in this country, but, uh, you know, we're all human um, and it's okay. (laughs) We'll get through this and we just have to uh, hope for the best. uh, And oh, gosh, what is it? A Maui farmer told me, stay positive and test negative. And I think uh, I think I've, when I've shared that, people have uh, generally that's put a smile on their face. So we'd like to leave you with that. So test negative, stay positive, everybody. We would like to thank Dr. Kathy Kozak, and we thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. The conversation is produced by Russell Subiono, Savannah Harriman Pote, and Lillian Song. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday for more of the conversation. <laughs>